Good morning, everyone. This is from case 36 of the Higigan Roku, Chang Sha wandering in the mountains. The main case. One day, Chang Sha went wandering in the mountains. Upon returning, when he got to the gate, the head monk asked, Where are you coming from, master? Sha said, From wandering in the mountains. The head monk asked, Where did you go? Sha said, First I went pursuing the fragrant grasses, then I returned following the falling flowers. The head monk said, How very much like the sense of springtime. Shah said, It even surpasses the autumn dew dripping on the lotuses. Sui Tu added the remark, Thanks for your reply. The verse. The earth is clear of any dust, whose eyes do not open. First he went following the fragrant grasses. Then he returned pursuing the falling flowers. A weary crane alights on a withered tree. A mad monkey cries on the ancient terrace. Chang Sha's boundless meaning. Bah! Good morning, everyone, and thank you for your practice today. I spoke with Jenru Roshi yesterday, and his trip to Bermuda is going very well. Our Dharma sister Natalie received Jukai and received the Dharma name Mishin, which means luminous trust. Let's all give Mishin a well-deserved congratulatory round of applause for her hard work and dedication. So, in today's case, we visit with Master Chang Sha returning from wandering the mountains. Great Master Chang Sha succeeded the Dharma of Nansen and was a contemporary of Joshu. It is said that his point of wit was sharp and swift, direct and forthcoming. If anyone asked him about the teachings, he would then give them an explanation of the teachings. If someone wanted a verse, he would then give them a verse. If you wanted to have a meeting of adepts, then he would have a meeting of adepts with you. His personality and style are truly evident in today's koan. Wandering in the mountains in the context of Zen refers to the state of mind of those who have done their task and transcended Buddhas and Zen masters. Wandering in the mountains does not just literally mean going up into the mountains. It means all activity and repose of such a person, day and night, is wandering in the mountains. Think on this. All activity and repose, day and night, is wandering in the mountains. So what does this mean? What would it be like if all of our thoughts and actions were directly aligned with the circumstances of our lives? And all our discriminating thoughts of gain and loss, good and bad, right and wrong, you name the duality, were lovingly set aside. What would that be like? Who would we be? Who would you be? Would you be the same person you are now? There's really no need to answer this. Meditate on this and contemplate it like you would a koan, because this is the great matter we are studying. Who is the one that is wandering? So let's see if today's koan can help clarify the point. We, as Zen practitioners, all try to wander in the mountains. It is our duty to wander the way of our lives, if we can, but sometimes we get in our own way. When the head monk asked Chang Sha, where did you go? Chang Sha responded, 
First I went pursuing the fragrant grasses. Then I returned following the falling flowers. It must have been early spring. First I went pursuing the fragrant grasses. This leaves no trace of going. For no rhyme or reason he was drawn by the grasses and wandered through them. Then I returned following the falling flowers. Again, leaves no tracks of either coming or going. It is only completely directly pursuing and following. The head monk tries to trip him up again in another way. This is Dharma combat, by the way, the way that we as gem practitioners hone our skills and test our level of attainment. The first time you are personally explicitly subjected to this is during your Susho Hosen ceremony, where you give your first public talk and then respond to questions by the Sangha. But the ancients did this all the time, as evidenced throughout the koan curriculum we study. In the exchange, the monk is trying to get Changsha to give the name of a place, but Changsha will not be trapped by dualistic thinking. He is not fixed in any discriminating thoughts of coming or going, because all his activity and repose, day and night, is wandering in the mountains. So the head monk tries again, how very much like the sense of springtime. He is saying, your heart is also just like a sunny, pleasant spring day, master. He is implying that Chang Sha's response is a little too much of the phenomenal world. But Chang Sha responds, it even surpasses the autumn dew dripping on the lotuses. In autumn, the drops of dew forming on the lotus leaves are cool, without any warmth. It is quite refreshing. This is the state of consciousness in which there is no feverish enthusiasm nor delusive conceptualization. It's the world of enlightenment only. In his reply, Chang Sha is saying, the world of pure enlightenment is not bad, but it's still better to have human warmth. The head monk, with his very much like the sense of springtime, implies that Chang Sha's answer smelled a little bit too human. He was trying to trap Chang Sha again, but Chang Sha tells him that the smell of humans is preferable. It even surpasses. According to Konyamada Roshi, after you have once experienced enlightenment, you must return again to the world of humans. Rather than build a grass hut on the summit of a lonely peak and like Tokusan, scold the Buddhas and speak ill of the patriarchs. It is, more, it is more authentic to mingle among the people, working to teach them. Here, in the discussion of this koan, we don't even have to attach such clear meanings to Chang Sha's words, just relish the state of mind expressed in these words. A state of mind in which all his activity and repose, day and night, is wandering in the mountains. In Engo's commentary to the koan, he states, when you do not see any forms, this is only half the issue. You must further realize that there is a time when the whole thing is brought up, the single opening upward, when form is emptiness and emptiness is form. Only then can you sit in peace. If you can pass through, then as before, mountains are mountains, rivers are rivers. Each abides in its own state. Each occupies its own body you will be like a completely blind man. And as Joshua said in his favorite famous poem, the cock crows in the early morning. Sadly, I see as I rise how worn out I am. 
I haven't a kilt or a shirt, just a semblance of a robe. My loincloth has no seat, my pants no opening. On my head there are three or five pecks of gray ashes. Originally, I intended to practice to help save others. Who would have suspected that instead I would become an idiot? Now, obviously, Joshua refers to himself as an idiot in the Zen sense, as one completely absorbed and directly engaged with the manifestation of his life. No longer is he tied to any desires to help save others because he knows there are no others to be saved. He has lived his life in the service of others through his wandering in the mountains and has come to a place of complete merging. He and other are one. To help explore this state of mind, the state of complete oneness, the merging of life and self, I would like to return to the question of who is the one that is wandering? Many of you that have engaged in koan study have encountered this question before asked in many different ways. Some examples are, what was my original face before my parents were born? Who is it that sees, hears, or speaks? How do you see with your ears and hear with your eyes? And my personal favorite, which gets directly to the heart of the matter, when the Emperor Wu asked Bodhidharma, who is facing me? Bodhidharma replied, I don't know. All these questions point to the same thing. Who am I? What am I? Am I this collection of bones, blood, flesh, and sinew? Am I the collection of my past experiences and karma? Am I the aspirations of all my goals and dreams? This is the great matter that we study in Zen, the realization of who am I? In this spirit, I would like to conduct a little experiment together this morning. So if everyone would indulge me, I will explain first. This is what I would like us to do. Close your eyes, and while taking a deep breath that fills your whole body, silently say to yourself, who am I? Then slowly breathe out. Repeat this three times. Ready? Begin. Good. Now close your eyes and while taking another deep breath, picture yourself and say your name. If you have a Dharma name, use that. Picture yourself just as you are right here, right now, then slowly breathe out. Repeat this three times. Ready? Begin. Good. Thank you. So what just happened? What did we just do? Who were we talking with? Who spoke? Who heard? Who saw? Is it your true self? Your inner mind? Your original self? The one who is wandering? But don't be too rushed. Don't rush too quickly to label this, to fix it, to define that which cannot be grasped. Remember what Nansen said, this is not mind, this is not Buddha, this is not a thing. This is all. Nothing remains apart from it. 
you must realize this directly at this very moment to meet the one who is wandering. This is what we as Zen practitioners endeavor to explore, the original self, the one that is always there, always guiding, always diverting, always enlightened, always deluded. It is this understanding we are trying to cultivate. It is this self that we are, that we always are. It is the self that all things are, the oneness of consciousness. And it is this self that we constantly manifest moment by moment. So, if you have taken my Zen art and poetry workshop, you are familiar with the concept of the provisional self. The provisional self is the Dharma manifestation of ourselves, of our practice. It is the self we present of the world which is required to respond to the circumstances of our lives as Buddha nature arises. Because it is provisional, it is always changing and adapting. It is the self that we improvise to navigate the changing situations of our lives. It is empty of any fixed substance other than the habitual behaviors and discriminating thoughts we overlay on it, which we perceive falsely to be real and definitional. In his book, Shambhala, The Sacred Path of the Warrior, Chojam Trumpa talks about the habitual patterns of behavior. Habitual patterns are dangerous and destructive. By clinging to habitual patterns, we are cutting off ourselves from the warrior's world. Habitual patterns are like reflexes, and on a more subtle level, we use habitual patterns to hide ourselves, to seal ourselves off, and to build ourselves up. Habitual behaviors are the great generalization which we are a cause of great suffering in our lives. We use them over and over again, applying them to radically different situations. No wonder they don't work, because they are reflexes and easily called upon. We use them sometimes when they don't really fit. Yasutani Hakuin Roshi also speaks of this disalignment, but through the lens of discriminating thoughts. It is only because discriminating thoughts have not been cut off that I say there is a distance. In fact, there is not the slightest distance. It's only that you feel there is. You are right in the midst of it, yet you don't realize it. It's strange, isn't it? It's like air. When you are breathing it, you don't realize it. It's only when there is no more air that you become conscious of it. When you, in fact, realize it, you see that it is something you have always possessed from the beginning. There is not even the slightest space between you and it. Rather, it's not anything that's outside yourself, but you don't see it, you don't realize it. Why not? Because your discriminating thoughts and delusions have not died out. It is important that we understand this because our provisional selves can be either aligned with reality as it is, and our engagement is naturally bespoke to each situation or disaligned through the application of habitual behaviors and dualistic thinking. It is the provisional self that creates the gap or manifests no gap. Our original self is always aligned because it can be no other way. But sometimes 
Because of our habitual behaviors and dualistic thinking, our provisional self is disaligned with the circumstances of our lives, and we create the gap between how we perceive our reality and how our reality actually is. This causes suffering and struggle, and the experience of reliving the same problems over and over again, like we are caught in a loop. But sometimes our provisional self is aligned with the circumstances of our lives, and there is no gap, and our actions elicit an effect that is consistent with wandering in the mountains, consistent with our bodhisattva vows. Creations are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to transform them. Reality is boundless. I vow to perceive it. The enlightened way is unsurpassable. I vow to embody it. And as Maizumi Roshi states in his book, The Hazy Moon of Enlightenment, these are beautiful vows. As people who practice the enlightened way, every one of us is supposed to make these vows. The first vow is a vow to other people, to save or liberate all beings. The following three are to oneself, to have few desires, to master the Dharma, to realize the Supreme Way. I want us to appreciate together the direction in which these vows point. In order to discover your own direction, it is important to have great faith in yourself. Know that Buddha nature and all kinds of virtues and wisdoms are within you yourself. To understand our own direction is to understand that we are provisional beings, constantly trying to manifest our original self that is all things, to cultivate wandering in the mountains. Well, how do we do this? I believe there are three specific types of upaya that are particularly helpful in this regard. They are personal responsibility, discipline, and most importantly, faith in yourself. Personal responsibility. Here I mean responsibility in terms of promises. We make promises to ourselves all the time in every moment. Some are big, some are small. Some are sustainable, some are aspirational. But only you are responsible to keep the promises you make to yourself. So let's say, for example, you want to meditate every day for 30 minutes at 6.30 a.m. with the other Sangha members. This is something I am personally working on right now. You think about it, you decide it's a good idea, put it in your calendar, make a reminder, and commit to meditating 30 minutes every day. This is your responsibility, no one else's. And it is something you should never give away, because if you give away your personal responsibility, it can weaken your discipline and diminish your faith in yourself because you can no longer believe in your own promises. According to Yasutani Roshi, a strong determination I will do it to the very end, or a powerful will to search out the true way at all costs, shatters and dissipates all obstacles, no matter what kind they are. Furthermore, the decision itself is not quite enough. You must practice steadily. When you can do this, you may, in Yasutani Roshi's words, for the first time be called a Zen practitioner. Second, discipline. Here I mean discipline in terms of the will to keep your commitments alive. Let's say you're a week into your daily meditation commitment. You decide to stay up late and watch a movie, have a couple of drinks with friends, 
6 a.m. alarm sounds, and it's the moment of truth. Are you getting out of bed and keeping your commitment, the promise you made to yourself, or are you sleeping it off, doing your zazen later? Keeping your commitments, your promises to yourself, is impacted by all the decisions you make. It is truly a lifestyle. Everything you do is sitting zazen with the sangha at 6.30 a.m. Do you see this? Think on this because this is very important. This is like Chang Sha. All his activity and repose day and night is wandering in the mountains. When you manifest a provisional self that meets the commitments of everyday life naturally, intentionally, and directly, you are Chang Sha. You are wandering in the mountains. And finally, most importantly, faith in yourself. Here I mean faith in terms of belief in your way, your path. A faith that knows, as Maizumi said, that Buddha nature and all kinds of virtues and wisdoms are you yourself. Something brought you to Zen practice. That's something that why may be intellectual, emotional, spiritual, or physical. It may be explicitly statable or implicitly feelable. Maybe you want to develop more harmony in your life. Maybe it's clarity or compassion you seek. Zen Master Seppo was looking for peace in his heart. Only you know what brought you here. Many of you know that I practice Taekwondo, and for over 20 years I have progressed through the ranks and obtained the rank of Master. I have always had faith in my training and in my teachers, and I knew if I trained hard and tested regularly and stayed focused, I would achieve my goal of becoming a Taekwondo master. And I did. But Zen practice is not like this. There are no guarantees. No matter how hard you work, no matter how, no matter how many hours you sit Zazen or attend Sashin, you may never achieve what you think is enlightenment. All we can say for sure is that all we have is the practice. This is why faith in yourself is so important. That is why we all need Yasutani Roshi's strong determination. I will do it to the very end. This is the faith, the belief which must sustain you through years of practice. It is a belief in the fact that your life is the way and there is nothing beyond all this, right here, right now, just the way this is. So now, Together, as individuals and as a Sangha, armed with the upaya of personal responsibility, discipline, and faith in ourselves, we can begin to define the relationship we want to have with our lives. Because we are committed to our path, whether the path is something crystal clear or something veiled, we have taken personal responsibility for our commitment and to our individual and collective practice. We evoke discipline to sustain our personal responsibility, and we keep a deep and abiding faith that sustains us when we encounter difficulties, setbacks, and sufferings. So back to my original question, who is the one that is wandering? Or said another way, who is the one that is practicing? And can that one, just like Chang Sha, wander in the mountains, pursuing the fragrant grasses, and following the falling flowers without ever coming or going anywhere but right here. Thank you all for your practice.